I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and a warm welcome from Barangaroo Studios. It has just gone midday, which means it's time for the call. 10 stocks picked by you two experts and one hour to get through them all. It's Tuesday the 8th of December and I'm your host Andrew Page. Joining me in the studio today, two very smart cookies. I'm joined by Mark Morland from Team Invest and Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. Gents, great to see you both. Andrew, good afternoon. It's good to be here. It's good to have Scott in the studio. It is. It's all happy. It red is. letter day. He's a, a red letter. Person. He's a real person. <laughs> I, I didn't think he had legs, but he, he does. Guys, we're going to start off uh, as we always do with our stock of the day before we get to our viewer questions. And I thought we'd start with Adairs today. Uh, for those playing along at home, the, the ticker code there is ADH. Uh, they've provided a trading update for the first 23 weeks of the full year. Sales well ahead of where they were this time last year. And that is despite 43 of its Melbourne stores being closed since August due to the COVID lockdowns. The company is tipping first half guidance for group sales to be between 235 and $245 million. Scott, I'm going to start with you. Mm. Uh, a homewares store which has return on equity in the mid-20s. Uh, earnings growth has been pretty lumpy, but mm, still mm. pretty spectacular. And yet the market's giving these guys a PE of 14. It's a phenomenal story. Isn't it? It's one of those stories that we're not really sure how much to believe into the future. So the past is the past, we know that. We know how well the company's doing. We have even more today, how exceptionally well it's doing. The real question for many is, but what comes next? <clears throat> and if you look into 2021 and you say to yourself, is this the beginning of a new trend? Or do we look back and say, yeah, of course, 2020 was different. Of course, there was COVID. We spent money on homewares and hardware and groceries rather than going to Europe or to America or somewhere else. And that's the real key question, I think, for many investors is, is this sustainable? And to some degree, your point, the lumpiness in the past has kept people off a little bit. I think Harvey Norman, another one. P of Harvey Norman's 11.2, 11.3, something yeah. like that, right? Yeah. And you think, okay, if it can continue that level of sales, these things are super cheap. If, unfortunately, they go back to type, either because you simply get, you, you, there's some of these companies will have negative growth next year. There'll be some businesses that will report sales declines and possibly even profit declines, as they should, because 2020 is a one-off. So you've got to be a little bit careful here. I like the numbers. I don't really love the business, I have to say. It doesn't feel like a particularly moti business for mine, and the lumpiness you talk about is part of, I think, that up and down. Um, the good news is, to some degree, when the business is doing well, they are attracting new customers. So that should give some sequential benefit next year, but I wouldn't be putting my entire lot in with, this is the beginning of a new trend or somehow you can extrapolate this strong growth. So would you buy any at all or is it just there's just better fish out there? No, look, in, in the retail space, absolutely. I, I think my concern with it is, is I don't yet know how strong that brand is at the end of the day. Mm. So yes, plenty of people went and bought homewares. Well, no surprise. We know that Harvey Norman did JB Hi-Fi. I mean, this is not a story that's new to Adairs or specific to Adairs. So the question right now is, is this sustainable as a brand or is this just the industry benefit that's being spread among many, many players? So I'd go back to the branded retailers that people know, love, trust, and will go back to. Mm -hmm. Super Cheap Auto, um, Harvey Norman's another, JB Hi-Fi, those brands that are just, they're there, people know them, they love them, they're gonna go back there. 
Do people go back to Adairs next year? I don't know. Maybe they do. So I'm not. I wouldn't be selling. I wouldn't be running away from. It. I'm certainly not shorting it. Yeah. But you've got to ask yourself, given that lumpiness, as you say, is this really turning the corner permanently? I doubt it. If I found out you were shorting something, <laughs> I would probably fall off my, my chair. And rightly so. <laughs> um, Mark, Scott makes a really good point. We forget that PEs can go up, not just because the share price goes up, but because the earnings could go lower. Right. So, so he's got a good point there, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, no, he has. And uh, it's on a PE of 14, which is low for its earnings because its EPS growth rate's averaging about 44% now. Sorry, uh, and that's thirty four percent, right? And that's that's for outstanding. And also, I think one of the other things I like is the sales growth is consistent, but the EPS is growing faster than sales, which means they're extracting more profit out of the business. That's good. So you've got to say that's good. Um, interestingly, if you look, if you look at a comparison, uh, Nick Scarly, which is in the same area, that's on a P of eleven with similar growth. So it's right. actually, Nick Scarly is actually cheaper than these guys. And I think personally, I think Nick Scarly's got a stronger brand. In my mind, it has, and I'm a shareholder in it, so therefore I'm clearly biased. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so well, anyway. it also so says like, you're putting your money where yeah, you're so, so I wouldn't, so, I wouldn't yeah. sell Nick Scarlet to buy Adairs. Uh, Nick Scarlet is also more stable in, in its EPS growth rate, but Adairs does look very cheap, and we're showing it returning 9.1% uh, a year over the next five years on a margin of safety and about 44% on default. So that requires them to maintain this growth rate, and as Scott quite rightly said, um, they have unexpectedly had a massive boost from Corona. Mm. I mean, well, retail generally, uh, the good operators like uh, Super Retail, AX1, and so, Nick Scarly have all had record sales. Mm. So you'd have to assume this is not a change in behavior. This is a bringing forward of sales because all the people who used to travel and do other things aren't doing it and they're sitting home, what do we do? Let's go and buy some new stuff. So you'd have to assume it's gonna come off, but they're still, the sales have been good before Corona yeah. as well. So I, it, I think it's quite good. For me, I'd go for uh, Nick Scarly. So uh, do you think this is just a, a common mistake people make with retailers in, in general is that, I mean, they are by definition, even the good ones, they're just lumpy performers. So, I mean, is it is it just a silly proposition to say, I'm going to buy this for the next 12 months, extrapolating from the last 12? You, you've really got to look out five years and sort of say, is, is it worth, is it earning more then? And sort of discount back and, and, and take the, the volatility? Is that? I think it's it. I think, well, I, we should say that's any company, right? I mean, the, probably. I, yeah. you know what drives me most? This is a massive tangent because, you know, like tangents. I, I did, I did set you up. <laughs> <laughs> you do. Look at commodity prices, right? You look at the price of the miners, the fluctuate with the daily price of the commodity, when in all likelihood you take 12 months of, of, of operating earnings from any business, BHP is going to get the average iron ore price over that 12 months, and then the average iron ore price the next 12 months, but yet if the iron ore price jumps 2% overnight, BHP shares go up 2% because somehow the market decided that's now permanent, right? And so it's, right. It, it's that same idea. You've got to think about volatility as this is what's going to happen in the meantime. Now, your point, though, is, is valid, which is business volatility rather than share price volatility. And I think, yeah, you do. You need to actually look at those companies. That's why I go back to brand. At the end of the day, any homewares retailer, to Mark's point, is doing well. Some will do better. I agree. Nick Scale, much better business than Dares, in my view. I think there's other good quality, premier investments. Those retail brands, I think, are excellent. Yes. Um, there's businesses that do it really well consistently. So you want to, you know, I don't mind investing in retail, actually, but you want to go with the brand players who have really good long-term potential, even if it's volatile on the way. Who are going to be the winners when things get tough? Who are going to be the winners when you know, competition really starts to bite? It's those businesses people know, love, and trust. And that's the big ones, probably not little ones. Now, little ones become big eventually. Some of those premier businesses were small at some point. So there's a journey. Keep, keep an eye on that. But yeah, don't extrapolate ever on the downside as well as the upside. Because if you get some decent prices in the middle of COVID, that was a great time to be buying, not selling, because that was never going to continue. Equally, these fantastic retail numbers aren't going to continue either. Okay. Yeah. And one last thing to add to it too is that mm. retail, one of the good things about retail is that the whole industry is on low PEs. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and I think that happened when Amazon 
came on. Remember the threat of Amazon was going to kill right. all retail, mm-hmm. and they all got pushed down. And then what? Everything else has flown up. So mm-hmm. PE has expanded, mm-hmm. but retail hasn't. Yes. So if you look at the historical ranges, it's the same. Which means you're getting growth rates in this case, like 30%, 40% EPS growth. Yeah. If that was a techie company, it'd be on a PE of 70 or 100, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. yeah. So yeah. it's cheap. No, right. yep. So yeah. you actually, dividends are good too. Yes. Super retail and so on. These, these guys, uh, I'm not sure what a DS pay. They pay a good dividend. Um, they do pay uh, a dividend. I think the yield's about 3.5%. Yeah, from so you're memory. getting, you're getting a dividend income yeah. as well. Um, and you're also getting, um, you'll get the growth because as the earnings are growing, the, pro- the share price is going to go up. So mm-hmm. they're low risk in a lot of ways. Yeah. So I'm quite happy to have uh, a reasonable amount of money in retail. Well, there you go. Uh, Adair's uh, the stock of the day. Not the best pick for the two guys, but certainly some interesting insights on retail in general. Let's get right into the stocks that you have asked us about today. And the first one comes from Harry. He's interested in, I hadn't heard of this one before, uh, Alliance Aviation Services. The code there is AQZ. Scott, I'm going to start with you again here. Mm-hmm. They've had a cracker of a run in 2020. <laughs> really yeah. uh, is that justified? I don't know. Um, the, the you know the Warren Buffett line famously before buying airlines, screwing up and selling them eventually was you know don't buy airlines or if I ever call you know I've got a one hundred number I call if I want to buy an airline they talk me down. Um, <laughs> should listen to that at the first time. Alliance is largely a contract um, provider of air, air services, right? Largely mining that kind of stuff. That's a pretty good business as long as you can keep those contracts going. Any business that you know, these guys in the business of of buying or leasing the the infrastructure. Than hoping to sell those for a slightly better price. They kind of they're, they're a retailer, right? They buy the cost of goods, that is the airlines. They sell them to someone, and hopefully they make a margin on the difference. That's okay as long as the contracts keep going. And this is again, we talk about extrapolation. Volume. I know we'll do. We'll do that a few yeah. times today, right? There is a volume game, absolutely. If those contracts get lost, reminds me of Mermaid Marine in a funny way. Remember Mermaid Marine I do. in the yeah. old days? Yeah. So it was a business doing spectacularly well while all of its vessels were being used, yeah. and then they weren't. And then at that point, you really got to struggle because you have this massive cost base. Emico Holdings, another one, right? Massive cost base. When things are great, you're flying. Yeah. As soon as the customers walk away, you look around and go, guys, we've got a car park full of machinery of one sort or another, or airplanes or machinery. We're not doing anything with it. And the, the, mm. you know, the, the debtors still want to be paid. What are we going to do? Mm. The answer is largely either capital raising, go broke, try and find some more money somehow. So Alliance is great while well, things are good. It's probably pretty ordinary when things are bad. Now. When will that happen? I don't know. But if you don't know, again, if you can't answer that question either way, you've probably got no business owning the stock. Mm-hmm. So something definitely to watch out for. All about volume, Mark, according to Scott, which is generally a feature of a yeah, lot of businesses. This, 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 yeah, this, we, this is a business we have looked at in the past. Okay. Uh, a couple of years ago when it was quite cheap, we had a look at it and we actually voted it, we voted it down. And at the, at the time, they'd just uh, failed on being sold to, I think it was, it was I'm sure it was Qantas or Virgin. One of them were going to buy it and the, and the ACCC put a kibosh on it. Now this is a complicated business because they do uh, they do engine leasing maintenance all sorts of stuff and they even do their own flights you know and, and sell tickets and stuff as well and a lot of charters it's a really complicated business and as scott said rightly said it's a capital intensive business um it was we, we decided it was all too hard it's currently return on equity and return on capital below 10 percent, so it doesn't make our cuts and we're showing showing a slightly negative return on a margin of safety that's in part because the p ratio at the moment is 18 but for them that's high mm-hmm. uh, that's at the very top of its range um, when when we looked at it, it was about 10 so it was nearly half what it is now mm-hmm. and then the price was good then but we still found thought the business was too complicated and uh, just too hard mm-hmm. and quite 
risky in that things can go wrong quite quickly. I think, I think it's right. I think that's, to Mark's point, that's really important, right? Just yeah. because something goes well subsequently to saying no to it doesn't make it a bad idea. If you're doing the right analysis, you don't have to, you know, take every fish that jumps in all boat, right? You look at them and say, well, we could have this if we wanted to. It doesn't look cheap. Yes, is it look, you know, again, alliance may well do well from here. Yeah. But the question really is, can you have any degree of confidence with any sort of fundamental analysis and say, it should do well because of this and I have a high degree of confidence in that? Even if, you, even if you're wrong, even if you get it wrong, the share price goes up, it's not necessarily a mistake unless your analysis is wrong. What's really important is making sure you only take the bets that are worth making. I assume both Mark and I over the next hour will be talking about plenty of these companies that maybe on balance even go up. Yeah. But the question is, do you have enough confidence to say to somebody like our viewers, buy this stock now? That's a different thing to, could it possibly go up? The answer is always yes, but you can't know in advance. And it's going to look so obvious in hindsight, isn't it? And, and you're going to kick yourself along the way. It's actually, it's actually much harder when you're recommending or t suggesting it to other people yes, than yeah, yourself, isn't yeah, it? It's much yeah, harder. Absolutely. Uh, in our family, I, I started managing uh, my daughter's self-managed super fund years ago. And one of the, one of the companies, I can't remember what it was, wasn't doing well. Yeah. And it made a loss. And my wife overheard this and she said, so you're going to make good on that, aren't you? <laughs> said, okay, great. So not only, I have to underwrite it here. <laughs> Can you manage my suit? Okay. Are you the same deal? That sounds, that sounds pretty good. Um, yeah, I 100% I, I hear all of that uh, kind of stuff. And I, I, think it's, I think it's a good lesson just in general with this. It's, it's about, you can be wrong, but for the right reasons when it comes to investing. And you know, there might be a one in six chance of something coming good. Just because it comes good doesn't mean you made the, the bad decision. So Mark, I'm, I'm sorry, Harry, I should say, unfortunately, I couldn't get it over the line uh, for these guys. So that is a double thumbs down. Let's move on to mineral resources, which I believe both of you guys are familiar with. Uh, Mark, I'm going to start with you. This has been in the Team Invest wheelhouse for a little while. Long time. Uh, it's still there? Yeah. Yeah. It's, well, we've been investing in min for over 12 years. So uh, there was a period where we sold down at the top of the mining boom, yep. uh, which was a good move. Not everyone did. Sure. Um, and Howard, for instance, kept it right through and he's done well over 20% compound. This is a fantastic company. Um, its stability is a bit all over the place because of the you know, cycles of mining services. This is a mining services company. They do mine as well. But we still class it as a services company. Chris Ellison, the CEO, is a brilliant um, founder who's uh, got over oh, a billion dollars in the company. So he's a billionaire based on men. Uh, he started it. We love uh, founder CEOs with major skin in the game. You just can't go past it because you know that he has a history of making good decisions mm. and dealing with whatever he's dealt with. It's hard to find people like that. Mm. It really is. They're rare. Anyway, he's one of them. Um, and recently, he did his best deal ever. Uh, last year, he sold uh, their 60% uh, interest in their Wadjin and lithium mine to Albemarle, a US company. And Albemarle's building a lithium hydroxide plant in Kemperton in WA, which is big, big bill. And the deal was they paid 1.2 billion US in cash and Min still keeps 40% of Wadjin and it gets 40% of the Kempton mine. And I think they're all in cost for something like 30 or 40 million, their wow. investment. Yeah. I mean, it's like about X thousand percent return. Yeah. Anyway, um, he's done lots of things like that. This is his best deal he's ever done. But what he does is he builds up businesses and then sells off at least part of it or all of it as long as he gets the ongoing contracts to do all the crushing mining and so on. So he's, he's, he sees himself as a service provider and what he wants is life of mine contracts so you get annuity income. So he does quite a lot of work for Rio and BHP and he's uh, arguably the lowest cost crusher in the country for iron. They do have their own iron ore mines as well and the share price has recently run up quite strongly to an all-time record at 34 because of the because iron, of the well, iron, iron, iron ore price at record. Yeah. I mean if you look at their annual report when it came out recently every single part of the business is firing. It's like mm. it was just a massive good news story. Mm. Anyway having said all that 
Uh, it's, on, it's showing an appear of 5.5. And the reason is um, Morningstar in their uh, wisdom or the, uh, have taken that 1.2 million into profit. Now, it's not unreasonable because that's what they do in the business. I would have rather it was treated as an abnormal okay. because it's, it's lifted their earnings from a, like a trailing earnings of $1.77 a share up to about $6. So if but it's take, a one-off. Though. It's a one-off. But yeah. if you look at it, you go, wow, this is brilliant. And it's so cheap. Yeah. Yeah. So if you take that out, it's still a good story. Yeah. Even at $34. Okay. Um, but and, and even where we are potentially in that iron ore well, cycle. Well, okay. You have to not, assume not that it's going to come down. What he yeah. does is he owns lots of marginal mines, which he bought for nothing. Yeah. Um, and then he, if, if the iron ore price goes below his uh, re- required return, he just, he just mothballs them. And he's got portable plants, portable crushing plants. It's quite, the whole thing's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing he does is um, <coughs> with lithium, he has another one called Mount Marion, which they spod you in. So he's, he's got the largest, I think it's the largest hard rock lithium resource in the world. Um, it's 30, over 30 year prove of mine life at the moment. Now what they're doing is he's vertically integrating the whole process to, to provide lithium hydroxide, which is the input to the batteries. And uh, the good news is Albemarle's American. And they, all the exports, on my understanding, are all going to the US. And if any go to China, it's via Albemarle, nothing to do with Min. Mm-hmm. So the problems we have with China don't play with this. Because Albemarle is a US company and China's not doing any of They're not bullying. They're not trying to bully the US. <laughs> they bully us. So I think that's actually quite a nice difference compared to the other miners in the space as well. So I'm a very happy shareholder. I think, I don't know if I'd buy them right now. I mean, they've just had a massive run up. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were 20 something dollars only two weeks, three weeks ago. Uh, but I would say... So uh, we'll call it a, a hold? I'd, well, I'd, 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 well, from my point of view, it's a buy long-term anyway, because I think yep. he'll okay. continue doing what he's doing. They've done over 25% compound returns since listing. There's Amazing. very few companies in Australia have done that. Yep. Like he's in the top of but three or four companies. Yeah. Yep. Mark makes a pretty good point in terms of... Can't have much detail, just quietly. Mark's come is, in the waterfront. No, that's great. I mean, this so is... You know the company well. That's this fantastic. is the advantage of sticking to a company, I suppose, yeah. and, and, and um, following the journey. You get to know it inside and out. Mm, that's right. And it helps put things in context, I suppose, when, when everyone else is focusing on the day-to-day mm-hmm. cut and thrust. Mm-hmm. Um, what can you add, though? So I will only probably pass comment on the judgment on the buy-sell hold. So Mark's done a spectacular job of covering every facet of the business. My concern goes back to the iron ore price that you both mentioned and the run-up in the share price. And I think, here's my thing about the iron ore price, 145 bucks a tonne currently, getting out of the ground in Australia for about $15, $20 a tonne, and that's even reasonably conservative. They're getting out for cheaper than that. Now, if you've got a long-term story where iron is plentiful, if you can get a decent enough price to get it out of the ground, I don't see the price remaining this high for any extended period of time. Now, if that's true... The supply-side response. Right, exactly. Yeah. And even just simply, not partly response, partly just balancing. This is, this is a sudden surge in demand as the world recovers, which is great. But as that starts to normalise, yeah, if, if you've got a $120 a tonne profit margin, someone, a la Min, by the way, are going to do something like come and say, I might start up some of these plants again because this makes some sense to me. So yeah. I, I am wary of a market we talked about as we opened, uh, a market that is prepared to pay a lot now for today's iron ore price, and in one week, one month, one year, we're paying a whole lot less. If that's true, today's price becomes reasonably expensive. So I agree with Mark on the quality. I think that's the right price to buy it for. I wouldn't be buying it at today's price. I'd be waiting for a decently lower price. It's kind of buy commodity-related players when the commodity price is low, not when it's ultra high, in my view. Yeah, when yeah. no one else wants it. And I think right. Yeah, that's right. And I think the other advantage with them is a lot of their revenue, I think it's over 40%, is annuity yes. contracts yeah. with BHP and Rio. So regardless of what the price is, mm-hmm. they still get paid. Correct, correct. So that differentiates them, I think, very significantly to a lot of the other players. But you're quite right. 
Some really great insights there, guys. That question came in um, <coughs> from Ross. Ross, um, I hope, hope you're happy with that. Um, we're going to move on now to Blue Scope Steel. Uh, this is a company that doesn't, I don't think, have quite the same long-term history as Mineral Resources. Uh, June has sent this question in. Uh, Mark, let's start with you this time. Blue Scope, is it uh, too yep. many boxes? Uh, yes, we have looked at that in detail as well. Okay. Um, not lately, uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, it failed our our uh, and our analysis. It's, it's got some They've got some really great products, you know, mm. with Color Bond, and, mm. uh, they've, and they're, they're doing well with a lot of that, but it's also got some baggage. And the baggage is to do with, uh, they're a shareholder in the um, uh, the uh, aluminium plant, what's that called? Alcoa? Uh, no, no, it's, it's New South Wales, the big smelter. Um, up, up, ten, oh, sorry. Starts with a T. Maybe a moment. They're a significant shareholder in that with Rio and, then, and some European company, and it's a shocker mm. because it's, you know, what they say, you know, the aluminium. It's turning electricity <laughs> in the middle, right? Yes, so, yes, yeah, yes. with where we are, it's just not a good business. Anyway, they have a significant share in it. And we said to the CEO, you know, like, well, would you, what, you know, what, what's the rationale for being involved? And he said, we have no choice because we, we're a minority shareholder and we can't get out unless the others pull the plug and then you've got remediation and so on. So there's, there's that's, a That's a ringing endorsement from the CEO. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. That's that's totally, totally, we're only holding it totally we admits to. it's a dog. We're stuck, we're stuck. <laughs> so yeah. anyway, so yeah. that was a negative. Okay. Uh, they've got a very good business in the US, which yeah. is um, uh, uh, mini, mini, um, mini um, uh, foundries mm -hmm. where they take scrap metal and there's stacks of scrap metal in the Midwest in America, uh -huh. like, like 100 years worth. Uh -huh. And what they do is they take that scrap and then reproduce re, uh, it into, and they've got a very low cost base compared to the others. So there's a lot of good stuff in there. If you could have split the business and take the Australian stuff out and just have the US, I would be like, yeah, this is really good. Mm -hmm. But it's an interesting business, but too hard. Yeah. For us. Yeah. And now it's dropped. I mean, the, the, now the PE, the return on equity and return on capital are down about seven, which is sort of below our uh, minimums. And we're showing negative returns both on safety and default, which is pretty grim. And it's at the top of the range again, PE 18.8. So maybe not the time to buy. I did have a few good years of some yeah. high return on equity, but yeah. longer term, yeah. it's been pretty yeah. ordinary. Scott, does it does it float your boat? Doesn't float my boat in the slightest. No, I think, in fact, my, my, my steel bottom boat is going to sink. Um, <laughs> look, it's it's. To your point, it's the occasional success that gets investors excited. Oh, maybe, maybe it's finally turned the corner. And sometimes these companies do finally turn a corner, right, permanently. <clears throat> um, I agree with Mark, the Color Bomb, it, it's, it's, a, it's a decent provider of niche products. Yeah. And you've got to be, because we're not going to be lowest cost. We don't have the best scale. All you can hope to do is do it local and do it niche. Yeah. And to some degree, that's okay. I don't think they're going to have the size to really compete. They are exporting some color bond to the US, and Mark yeah. made mention of the US business. That export you know, was actually um, waved through in the recent, or not so recent, the Turnbull Trump um, tariff conversation where we got excluded from tariffs was largely to get color bond through, the, th through that door. So there is some decent business, some decent export business. It's just not particularly big, and it's not particularly profitable. And, I, and unfortunately for all of that, at the end of the day, as we know, unless you can make some money out of whatever you do, no matter how cool, big, impressive, whatever, unless you're regularly making cash, it's hard to pay a low enough price for business with that much volatility and that much concern. So there is a price probably, it's nowhere near today's price, probably half of that. All right, so that's two thumbs down from both Scott and Mark. Scott, I'm gonna stick with you. Keener <laughs> Securities, Chris has asked about this. The uh, code for those at home is KSL. What can you tell us about Keener, Scott? This is fascinating. So this is a Papua New Guinean business in kind of a whole range of financial services. So in smaller economies, you tend to find 
First, the conglomerates. There's a few of those still around. Um, Steamship's Trading Company, one of my favourite conglomerates That's out of free right. energy, yes, by the way. Yes. Um, too small to even talk about it and trade so infrequently. But it's one of those cool old school, you know, kind of industrial conglomerates that do shipping and property and all sorts of stuff. Um, but Kena, so because the economy is relatively small in PNG, it does lots of everything. It's one of the, it covers the waterfront and financial services. And it's doing it reasonably well. And it's not particularly expensive. So one of those businesses you look at and say, well, there's a broad trend of improving results, that's positive. P of seven or eight, depending on which one numbers you use. That's we're, we're on five and a half, we're showing it. Right, and so, yeah, it depends. so you're kind yeah. of in the situation where you think, well, why wouldn't I buy it? And I guess it comes into a couple of things. The first is we have to remember sovereign risk. Now I have no particular qualms with the PNG government, nor have they necessarily covered themselves in, in glory. So you have gotta be a little bit mindful of, you know, what are they doing and where are they doing it? What's the economy and the economic circumstance like you can only do well if your economy is doing well, generally speaking, unless you're in administration and liquidation trade. So yeah, you've got to be, excuse me, a little bit careful there. Um, the changes to rules, of course, in that sort of area as well. I will add one which is unusual for me. Normally, I'm a pretty fundamentals-based investor. This wouldn't be the first Australian-listed company in a developing market that just continues to have a low PE because it has a low PE because it has a low PE. One of those situations where you look at a fundamental business and say, this should be worth double this I price. I was going to ask you exactly And eventually that, yeah. it will be, right? And so you think, well, surely eventually the market should pick that up. And in theory, it should. Um, you're not an overseas of the business I'm thinking of out of Malaysia, I think, from the memory. property... Uh, right, which just is never, you know, uh, ne there's never got a decent PE despite the success of the business, right? Just Australians aren't prepared to pay up enough for it. And I think that's the concern for me with, with, with Kena is fundamentally looks okay. Now, there are those risks I, I mentioned. You'd almost take that, if, if this was an Australian business with those risks in that scenario, I reckon this, we, I'd be putting my hand saying this is a, a buy. Now, it still could go badly, but it's too cheap to ignore. Based where it is, and the fact that Australian investors may never actually pay up for it just because, and again, I don't want to, I don't like using sentiment as a reason not to buy. I, I, I definitely dislike it, I'd rather based on fundamentals. In this case, I just don't have enough confidence that that PE gap gets closed <coughs> at any point. And so yeah. the, the range of outcomes is potentially, if the PE doubles, you make a fortune. Is it going to? I just don't know that it will. So I wouldn't sell it. I kind of want to like it in some sort of diversified portfolio. It probably actually makes some sense given that opportunity. And frankly, to Mark's point before, low PE companies paying dividends tend to do really, really well because you get a chance to, to reinvest that money and compound it. But I've got to give this on a miss just because I have not enough confidence that it's a market beater with that general investor, I won't say dislike, but unpreparedness to pay up for a foreign business. Yeah, I, I think, I think you're, I've made that mistake myself thinking that there'll be some PE re-rate yeah. that never comes. Mark, what is that Malaysian property business that he's talking about? I know we've talked about it before. I, I'm no, drawing no. a blank. Mahindra? Mahindra no, no it's, it, but it has, it has likewise done, well, it yeah. has done very well for long-term shareholders, yeah. Yeah. but not on the basis of any PE no, expansion. No, no. And mm -hmm. so by the way, if the earnings growth is solid enough and consistent, yeah. it doesn't matter. That'll, that'll do the, the lifting. Is, yeah. If you get buy it cheap, you buy it under 10 PE, and it has te plus 10 earnings, you're going to do really well. Yes, yeah. yeah. You don't but need to get PE growth. I mean, I like PE growth. <laughs> yeah. But it's not something you can plan. And you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't buy no. it just because it's cheap, no. in the sense that no. cheap relative to what the market might pay for it. Yeah, you mm. might buy because it's cheap enough to get a compound yeah. return, as Mark said, but yeah. you also got to put PE aside and say, right. let's assume PE is going to be the same. Yeah. Does the business itself do enough for you? Yeah. Well, Team and Invest, we actually, we actually ran up the flagpole and had a look at this. Yeah. And the reason was a few members were shareholders and you know, we we're trying to get more to buy to get the PE up. Right? <laughs> 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 so we had a look at it. We, had a, we had a discussion with the CEO, right. uh, which was interesting. He's an Aussie. Yeah. And uh, they bought the Westpac, uh, ANZ, they bought ANZ's business in Papua New Guinea. They're, they're operating in Fiji and some islands as well. Uh, I don't disagree with anything that's been said, by the way, just adding on to. And then recently, as of last week or two, they've uh, bought Westpac's business. Now, why is that? Well, it would seem that the Australian banks are saying, 
it's not big enough to be worth the effort and we're, they're going back to core business. This is a typical cycle in banking, you know, where you expand or look for new things to make money and then eventually it doesn't work. So you then sell them all off and go back to yeah. core business. We're, we're in that cycle. Yeah. Okay. So I didn't read anything into that. The other thing that came up in our discussions was they, they've seemed to be very much in bed with China and the Belt and Road stuff and the Chinese oh, yes. have just put a whole new mobile network in with no firewalls, whatever that means. And yeah, so that means that your data is very safe. I yeah, think. well, there's, there's, there's that. Now, Keener itself is not a bank. They own the mm -hmm. bank um, and the numbers look really good. Mm -hmm. So we're showing it returning 26% per year on a margin of safety. Uh, its P range has been nine at the highs. At the moment, it's at the bottom of the green, which is the bottom of the range. So if you were going to buy it, mm -hmm. I would treat it as being, except it's more speculative in that there's some sovereign risk and there's unknown unknowns. But you don't need PE expansion to make money on this if they deliver. Yeah. But they have done a capital raise and they've now bought these other two businesses. So the view was, well, let's see what happens in a year and then we look at it then. It's only 170 million market cap. Mm -hmm. So it's quite small mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think they'll, be, they'll find it challenging to maintain their, this kind of growth rate with, uh, for, much, for very long. They're still a bank. Yeah. <laughs> you know, limited by uh, bank type dynamics. Mm. Yeah. So that's my view. So yeah. if yeah. you want to punt, you know, that, this would be my idea of a punt. I'll put you down for a no, though, yeah. but just with, with yeah. those, those yeah, caveats say, around it. I couldn't say yes, because yeah. we've actually failed it. Yeah, okay. I guess um, too, just, just really sorry. Yes, really quick, just, yep. If you're growing, I, I've talked a few times over the different core programs. There's, if you're sort of a bargain hunting investor who is really looking to comb the market and find stuff like this, it's commodity players when the commodity price is low and everyone hates it. It's travel businesses in the midst of COVID. It's businesses like Kina that market saying, Ah, oh, I don't want to. I don't understand. Don't get it. If if you were to th if you had that sort of investment approach with the portfolio approach specifically, expecting some of those will probably do terribly or maybe just badly. But either way, if that's your thing, this is exactly the sort of business for Mark's point that fits in that sort of portfolio. Yeah. Just buy enough of them, as as you mentioned with the odds before, Andrew. A one in six chance, not great. You know, you might be right that one time. You're probably going to write the other five. But if you can get you know, two out of three chance and buy ten of these and fifteen of those over time, yeah. I reckon you actually do really really well. Yeah. Individually, though, if we're, if we're asked, is yeah. this particular business going to do well? It raises the required confidence to say, yes, I like Keener, rather yeah. than if I bought 15 Keeners, I think I'd do really well. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, think, I think the other thing too you've got to remember is this is a profitable business. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like a specky one where it's a story yeah. Yeah. and everyone's mm -hmm. buying it, assuming they're going to make money and you can go to zero. This is not going to go to zero. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, and you're getting a 10% yield. You know, the, mm. the other stock I was thinking of was United Overseas International, UOS. Yes, mm. I remember that. Very same kind of situation. The share price is up fourfold over the last 10 years <laughs> yeah. and yet none of that has been due to PE expansion. Yeah. So it's a, it's a very good analogy. Well, that's the way I go. We, could, we could talk about this all day. Yeah. But, but we can't um, because we've, we've, we are on a, on a, on a time limit. Um, Jenna, I'm going to start with you, Mark. Jenna's asking about NIB Holdings, yes, yes. NHF Insurance. What do you, what do you think about uh, that? I know that? We know this business well. I'm a shareholder. Yep. Um, we, it's uh, private health. It's, it's the smaller, I think it's the third in the private health uh, market. Uh, entrepreneurial CEO. He's not a founder per se, but he acts like a founder. Mm. Mark Fitzgibbon, mm. very, very good manager. We've met him lots of times. Uh, we had a discussion with the chair recently as well. Um, I think this is an excellent business. They're very entrepreneurial. They're, very, they're, they're trying to diversify the business away from the regulated pricing end of it, which is healthcare. They have things like, um, obviously, with uh, foreign uh, workers coming in, they have to have insurance. That's obviously stopped with Corona. So they've had some short-term headwinds. 
Short term. It's all going to come back. Um, and then the other thing they did is they, had to, they provisioned over 100 million for surgeries because all the hospitals were shut. Right. And we asked the chair and said, well, you know, is that, it seemed over conservative to us because what it did is it brought their earnings down mm-hmm. and then the, the share price came off, which was what our definition of that is buying opportunity. Anyway, uh, he said, look, ASIC were very involved. Uh, no, uh, APRA, it's APRA, I think it was APRA was very involved. And uh, they wanted them to be extremely conservative, he said. So there's a good chance, we think, that that'll, a lot of that will get written back mm-hmm. um, as earnings. Because when you take a provision, you're taking it off your profit. Mm-hmm. The same with banks. You know, after the GFC, they did massive provisions in the bad time. Then they started writing them back, which made the banks look as if they were making a lot more money, more money than they uh, really were, just from operations. Mm-hmm. So no, we like it. It passes all our uh, filters. We're showing it returning about 10.7% a year over the next five years. So it's not massively cheap, but it's, uh, it's on a 22 PE, and the EPS growth rate's about 9%. Yeah. I, you, you guys can't see my screen, but there's a there's a perfect staircase of uh, earnings per share growth. Until with last a, year. With last year, a little bit of a <laughs> knockdown. million provision. And that's the provision. Yeah. Does, does that uh, mean it's a bit more interesting to you, Scott? Yeah, I like an OB a lot. Yeah. I like Mark's point about Mark Fitzgibbon. I think he's probably the most underrated CEO in the country, the one who okay. gets the least attention relative. Not necessarily the best in the country, most underrated. Yeah. The guy's hardly mentioned dispatches at all. And he's done a spectacular job of growing an OB over time. We talk about it as a health insurer, and it is as its core business. But effectively, you've got to think about that as the cash cow that Mark says to the rest of those businesses. They know this is a reasonably rubbish business. Their margins are low. The government controls the pricing. Yeah. It is hyper competitive. So we don't want to play in that space in that sort of scenario. What he's basically done is said, okay, we'll do as well as we can with this particular business. And they're doing as well as they can. But they're using the proceeds to go and buy, to Mark's point, unregulated overseas-based businesses, yeah. uh, student insurance, worker insurance. They tried medical tourism, it didn't they, work. They're doing, well. They're doing white label insurance where someone yeah. else is paying the marketing cost and they're just underwriting it. Quantus. So, Quantus. Yeah, Quantus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. so th- this is a, it's really, really well run. The growth is going to come outside health insurance. So as much as it's a health insurer, that's the core business you need to understand, the value is going to come from the extra. Interestingly, they're the only health insurer that's actually growing numerically at the moment. Yes. So yeah. all the others are going backwards and they're growing against the headwind on that, which I think is impressive. It's super, it's super and one impressive. one other thing yeah. I didn't mention, I'll just throw in, they've also got a deal in China, uh, which is very interesting because uh, the Chinese government, is, one of their priorities is to develop private insurance, mm-hmm. health insurance, because they know with their aging population what a cataclysm it's going to be. Mm-hmm. So they want, to, they want to build the industry. So uh, NIB has a partnership with a major uh, Chinese company and they're going through the licensing issue at the moment and so on and they they have quite a low capital risk on it but plenty of upside mm. they're, they're quite they're, they're internally excited about it nice. I think it's up. a I think it's a hold uh, I'm not gonna say buy on price uh, but if you get a, if you get an opportunity next on the market has a, has a problem um, or maybe we might see the business actually improve sufficiently to make the taste price worthwhile yep. I wouldn't buy it just yet but it's a hold with on my absolute shortlist for as soon as it's cheap enough on the top of this to buy. Okay. And I'll, I'll give you I'll give you twenty dollars for buy price. There you go. Twenty two at the moment, twenty eighty. There you go. So not not far to fall. Yeah. Uh, let's do, we are halfway through the show, so let's um, do a very quick recap. The stock of the day was Adairs. Both uh, both gentlemen had some positive things to say, but just not enough water under the bridge yet, and probably some better brands out there. For our first stock from Harry Alliance Aviation Services, um, a really interesting business that has done very well, but it is a volume game, and when that volume drops, that is going to be um, pretty brutal on the earnings. And for that reason, it was a no for for both Mark and Scott. Mineral Resources, uh, Mark, full disclosure, is a shareholder, has been for a long time. That's probably why he's smiling so much. Um, uh, Some concerns over the price, though, so that was a hold at the moment. Uh, Scott also uh, very uh, favorably 
favourable disposition. Yes. Thank yes. you. Thanks. Yes. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, just maybe not the right time uh, in the cycle, given what's happening with the iron ore price. Now, Blue Scope Steel. This was in the calls portfolio. I'll update you on that in just a moment. But it did get two thumbs down, which means it's no longer in the calls portfolio. Both gentlemen saying that this business has got some really nice parts to it, but it's <coughs> got some other parts that aren't so great. And for that reason, there Thomas was just... Thomas Hick, that's the name of that, uh, the foundry. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Better late than never. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's out. Uh, Kino Securities, this is a, a financial services company operating in, in Papua New Guinea. And, and really a lot of stuff to like about it. It wasn't uh, interesting enough for, for both the guys, but there are th some things to like. Uh, for, for Chris, who, who wrote in about that, there is a very high yield here. Uh, just don't expect a re-rate on the market anytime soon. And last but not least, NIB Holdings, which is really the unsung hero of the insurance space. Mark, a shareholder who likes it. Scott also gives uh, a lot of credit uh, to these guys, particularly the CEO, but would prefer a little bit of a cheaper price. And I think we both sort of settled around 10% lower or so. Uh, and that's all about uh, being opportunistic. And if you can do that, you'll, you'll probably do rather well over time. So let's have a look at that call uh, portfolio. Uh, as I said, we've got our own portfolio here. We've been tracking it since July 1. And this is how it works. Anytime our two experts both give a thumbs up, both give a buy, we will add that to the portfolio. Um, let's have a quick check of how we've been going. It's green across the board. Uh, two and a half percent almost for the week, 8.7% for the month. The longer the time frame, the more meaningful those results are. And so 25% almost for year, a financial year to date is uh, pretty impressive. What stocks have we added recently? Premier Investments has been added in Newcrest Mining. Woodside Petroleum, the CEO, in fact, just uh, saying he's going to leave today. Uh, but uh, the expert, previous experts on the show have liked that. We've also got an ETF in there, Fuel, uh, BetaShares Global Energy uh, Companies Fund, and Elders also being added. Uh, stocks that have taken have been taken out. Um, uh, well, as I said, Blue Scope will be taken out uh, after today's show. Uh, but we've also got uh, Transurban Group and Smart Group. Remember, if you want to uh, dig into this and see exactly how the portfolio is going, what it's made up of, what trades have been happening, it's really easy to do. Just go to the address that's at the bottom of the screen there, osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Gentlemen, um, I'm just useless at timing as you both well know. So we are gonna have a uh, 20 minutes uh, of a, uh, a power session, if you will. Uh, I'm gonna start with you first, Mark. Bravura, BVS. Vic has written in and asked about that. Give us a quick read on Bravura. Sure, um, Bravura is a uh, platform company that provides software for the funds management industry for admin and uh, all the back-end management and so on. And the reason, and it's doing very well, that area is growing because of all the breaking up of the major groups you know, with the banks and so on. So there's quite a lot of new groups and subgroups being, so there's, there's a, it's a fertile area. Um, it's, it looks good, it's only been listed for four years. It used to be listed, then it was privatised, private equity took it over and then relisted it. Um, but at the moment it passes all of our filters. Uh, we're showing it turning 10% a year on safety and 34% on default. It's uh, EPS growth running at 27% with good stability. So its numbers are all outstanding. And the other thing is in the bottom quartile of its P range as well on a P of 20. So um, it's actually quite cheap based on that. Uh, we've, we've had a cursory look at it. I, have, I haven't studied it in detail, um, but it looks very encouraging from this. Uh, but it's really only got, only got four years of listed history, which is our bare minimum. Okay. Yeah, but we all, I like it. I'll say it's a buy. Uh, what do you reckon, Scott? 
I've been concerned about this so growing growing area. We know there's huge disruption. Banks are losing market share, and players are coming in to provide these services that are either done by the banks themselves or by the financial advisor groups. This is a lovely business, right? You get to say, well, hang on, I can join this together, do it at scale, make some money for you. Fantastic business, fantastic idea. If you added together though, the hopes and dreams represented by the share prices of all the players in this space and said, hang on, is the future really gonna be that big, that impressive, that great? For the longest time I've said, you know what, it feels like it's overdone to me. And I think as a group, you had to know who you were picking specifically, how you were doing all that kind of stuff. Trying to pick winners in this is really, really hard. It is. All of that said, Bravira is now at a, a P of 20-ish times earnings and the growth has been really impressive as Mark said over the last four years. So as a listed entity, the first year, I, I'm, I'm also mindful of IPOs. You think, oh, I'm not sure what numbers do we know. What Particularly when they've come out of PE hands. What's hiding, what's hiding? There's, <coughs> the, there's the old thing you never wanted to buy from Kerry Packer or sell to Kerry Packer, right? Because you knew he was getting a better deal. <laughs> right. a bit the same, right? If you're buying for selling from private equity, you think, they're getting a better deal than I'm getting yeah, here. So yeah. always be mindful of that. Not that they're necessarily doing anything wrong, but they're not going to sell unless they get a good price, right? Yeah. That being said, review's done spectacularly well. The P is very reasonable for the sort of growth it's mm. delivering. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a late convert, particularly of this company specifically. I still think there's a lot of bubble, a lot of froth in fintech generally, but hopefully specifically in this case, Bavira looks like it's done enough and has enough of a track record to be a buy. So put me down for a buy. Yay, we got to do a buy. I didn't say this before I asked you the question, but I'm a recent shareholder in, in Bravira, so I, I, I also <laughs> like it. the smile on your face. But I thought, I'll just see what they're <laughs> saying there. So I luckily picked some up at three bucks. Um, so I hope that helps you, Vic. Uh, everyone on the panel uh, likes that one. Um, although, although let's, let's add a bit of balance into that there. Very short history out of PE hands. There is, there's, you know, not everyone in the industry is going to win there, so please bear that in mind. Uh, let's go, uh, Scott, I'm gonna stick with you. Uh, mm. MNF Group, yeah. uh, this is a company that's been, I know, in focus for a while. It's, it's yeah. had um, another really great CEO there. So Peter's written in and asked about it, what do you think? So I, MNF Group, used to got my net phone, is a business I want to love. I desperately want to love it. Great CEO, as you say, super nimble business. They've found little bits of opportunity where they've found it. When you're that small and nimble and agile and, and good, you kind of look around the landscape and say, we could plug that gap. We could go and do that thing. Telstra can't do that. doesn't want to do that. Optus the same. Focus, you know, these businesses are too big. But a little MNF can go, we'll buy that business. We'll buy those customers. Great business, really well run. I say I want to like it because the results have been underwhelming for, for actually quite a while now. Yeah. And so I'm kind of in that situation where it's one of the, I'll put it as a gunner company. And I don't mean that in disrespectful kind of way, but it's one of those things where for all intents and purposes, the analysis you should do, the way the business has been run, should lead you to a point of saying, well, of course, these, this sort of business should do well. I think generally speaking, it would. Again, talk about portfolio of companies. If you could buy a dozen businesses with these attributes, you'd do really, really well. MNF just, to my mind, hasn't yet broken through. Um, one three hundred Smiles, another business, exactly the same yes. thing. You think, yeah. that's a great business. It should be doing really, really well. The share price is probably up, I don't know, 10, 15% in, in maybe a decade, maybe not quite. It's just great, well-run businesses just can't quite find the growth they need on a compound basis to really reward shareholders. So I, I, it's one of, I, it's always on the watch list, right? It's always on one of those, and again, you know, is it gonna turn the corner? Is it finally now getting into some sort of regular compound continued growth? <clears throat> can, I, can I finally say, yes, I wanna buy this thing? Because I really want to, right? I just need it to start delivering for me. It just hasn't thus far, at least not in sufficient size, scale, and most importantly, consistency to make it worth buying. So I've got to leave this one on the shelf, unfortunately. I'm not running away from it. <clears throat> I just want to see some really good results and sustained results before I'm prepared to say, actually, no, they've finally cracked the code. There is some compound growth ahead of it. Yeah, I think you make some really great points. There's been a lot of smart investors who I respect who've been talking this up for a while, but it just, not yet. Right, right. What do you reckon, Mark? Uh, well, 
I've been a shareholder for seven years, eight years. Um, my average is a dollar thirty. Okay. And I started buying it at sixty, so well it's done. been spectacular. Well done. <laughs> yeah, for me. So, so it's one you're just going to be on your time frame. Right. Now I know Rene Sigo very well. You know mm. the CEO. We know. We know. Yeah. This is another business we know really well. Yeah. Uh, I agree with what Scott's saying. The last three years, particularly four years, have been flat on mm. earnings because they have done some uh, acquisitions and they they're changing the business. Mm. So yeah, I agree with that. Before that, it was growing uh, at about twenty percent a year. Uh, compound. It was fantastic. Mm. Uh, I'm, we've, we've had a lot of discussions about this in Team Invest, and the, the general view is we're happy to stay. Uh, and the reason is we believe that uh, they're now they're building out Asia at the moment in Singapore and so on. So they're, repli they're replicating their model here, which is basically providing interoperability for Facebook, Uber, mm. uh, Google, and everyone into our exchanges and so on. So they're the, they're the glue they give it with apps and so on to connect them into these systems here. And they're quite unique in that way, and there's nobody in Asia doing it. And Google and all their clients have all said, well, if you set up in all the Asian countries, you've got our business. So they've got like a, they'll take all their clients with them, and that's where they are right now. So I actually expect their earnings next year, in 21, the 21 numbers, um, will start up, pushing up on growth uh, again. Uh, currently the PE is 28, which um, is probably high-ish for uh, where they are right now. Uh, but if they do start getting back to 17, 18% EPS growth, which I think they will, mm -hmm. uh, then it'll, you'll look back and say it was cheap at the moment. It's quite close to the bottom quartile of the PE at 28 at the moment as well. So yeah. Yeah, if, you, if you hold my view on it, mm -hmm. and so I'm really saying good management, uh, a lot of their own IP and quite replicable. Mm -hmm. And I think they're in, they've done the hard yards now to do that. I think they're now going to start reaping it. So, uh, okay. So, so I'd say it's a buy. A buy, a buy from yep. Mark. So a little bit of period of stagnation, yep. but some, some foundations being consolidation, consolidation might be the best. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you. But, but, that, much, but that, I mean, that's the thing though. I mean, if you look yeah. at CSL, go back and look at CSL's graph. They had a number of years where it was flatline, remember? A lot yeah. of people went, oh, CSL, CSL, it was about yeah. $50. I can't mm -hmm. stand on selling them. Yeah. And then anyone, everyone, anyone who did, then it was, they took off because they had, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. things came through that they'd been working on. Yeah. You've got to be patient. Yeah. I think the key thing is if you trust the management and you understand the business and they're, they're really looking after shareholder interest, and this is another case of that sort of thing, mm. it's a safe place to be. You can make a judgment of whether you buy it now or not. Yeah. Okay, we have to move on. Yeah. Uh, city Chic <laughs> Collective, CCX, Connie is interested in this business. Is it City Chic or City Chic? City, I say chic because it sure makes chic. me sound more chic. sophisticated. <laughs> I, think it, I think it's chic, but, but, but we're I, not the target market, let's be honest. Let's, let's, let's be brutally honest about that. I like um, chicks. <laughs> I'm not going near that. No, what, no, do, no. what do you think about the business? Um, I don't know much about this one. Uh, all, actually, this has been the best one I've ever been on, Osbeers, as far as companies that I know a lot about. <laughs> Never had this one. many. Usually it's maybe one. <laughs> City Chick's not one of them. Uh, it's a, uh, it's a re another retailer, obviously, mm. in uh, fashion. And, and uh, we're showing return-wise, it doesn't have uh, high stability. It's got quite low stability. It doesn't pass any of our theories in that respect. Yeah. The earnings, though, have been uh, uh, quite, well, they've been all over the shop, quite mm. frankly. Yeah. Lately, they've been high. Well, a lot of the comments we were talking about before with yeah. retailers, That's right. perfectly so applied. So you look at the graph, it's like that. It's, yeah. like it's all over the shop. How do you predict it? Yeah. yeah. Scott, over to you. Uh, so that's a, that's City Chic, you, you will know previously, it's, it's the artist formerly known as Specialty Fashion, yep. which is the artist formerly known as Miller's Retail. That's right. And that, oh. that tale has been one of uh, oh. relative disappointment most of the time. Depends yeah. to Mark's point though, when you bought it. This was a, this was a oh, what dog of a business sounds harsh. It didn't do really well for a very long time. All of a sudden, I just saw the numbers now, early 2018 went from, what was it, 90 odd cents, no less than that, 40 cents, up to the best part of $4 really, really fast. 
And so this was one of those stories where if you bought it at the right time, you got lucky, you did really, really well. It seems like City Sheikah finally managed to crack. It, it's a component of the business. They sold off some other brands, closed off stuff down. This has been all over the place. It doesn't resemble the old Miller's retail other than just by lineage. Um, it's got a couple of brands that are doing relatively well here and overseas. So that story, if you can remain relevant, is attractive. Now, I don't like fashion retail much. I, I did say before, I like premier retail, I hold, premier investments, I hold to that. But the likes of City Chic, I mean, how many, Noni B, so many of these businesses have just gone and got into trouble time and time and time again, because fashion retail is just really, really hard, such right? Such a tough business. It's a fickle it's, business. Yeah. It, the thing is, yeah. retail, fashion retail is such a simple business. How hard is it? You rent a place, you open the thing, you put some dresses on a rack or some suits on a rack, you're in business. The barriers to entry are effectively zero, other than if you can source and pay some rent. Yeah. Devilishly simple to do, incredibly difficult to do really, really well. Yeah. You've got to make enough margin, you've got to push enough volume through, you're paying retail landlord rents. Like, you know, this is a really tough business to do really, Customers really well. Customers change uh, styles and fashion. Right, exactly. Fickle, as Mark said, so. And think about some of the brands we grew up with that no longer exist, the billabongs that, that went oh. through their own issues, right? right? So, yeah, yeah and that, that was the, well, because that was the brand, right? Yeah. So let, let's draw a line of city chic really quickly, because I know we're running out of time. Um, I, I can't, like a business that doesn't have a obviously defensible moat for any length of time. Yeah. City Chic is that business. I just can't get into bed with a company. Just some, I, How well will it do in three years time? Will fashions change? Will it keep up? How will it respond? I don't know. And if you don't know the answer to those questions, you really have no business owning the stock. So it's yeah. a no for me. Yeah, otherwise it's hope and, and hope is not an investment strategy. You know oh, so, well said. Can, uh, we, uh, can we quote you on that? Yeah, uh-huh. you can, but just, just, just credit me. I love that one. Um, uh, Scott well knows. You do. Uh, Helios, uh, Mark, uh, Charlie's asked about this, HLS. <laughs> Uh, this is a horrible business. Okay. <laughs> so, as in, um, it's losing money. Okay. Uh, it's, a, it's a company that has, um, it's a medical, they do, uh, sort of, I think it's a roll-up, but they do radiology and a whole range of uh, pathology services and so on, medical okay. centres. It's the kind of thing, it should be making money, you would think, um, but it's, it's not. And uh, we're showing negative returns on everything. Uh, 3% ROE, which is minimum 10 for us, return on capital 2.5. Woeful, high debt. It's all bad. Nothing there, nothing there looks good to me. Um, and it used to be going well back in the um, 2015, and then it's been all downhill since then, basically. Yeah. And then flatline, and that's all I can say. Yeah. Scott? There is, there is definitely a very hard uh, line in the sand between 2015 and post-2015. Do, do you know what the reason is, Scott? Or? I have no, well, so it's a business that, it's been through the ringer a couple of times. It's been name changes and structural changes. It's just one of those businesses. It's a bad here's, sign, isn't it? Here's the thing, right? So I, one of my pet hates is misclassification of companies on the ASX, yeah. right? This is considered a healthcare business because it does radiology, pathology, as Mark said. It's really a landlord. It is a REIT. As much as the, oh, as much as, well, okay. effective. It's not, it's not technically a REIT. But it provides the facilities that independent practitioners like doctors, independent GPs use, other radiology services. So it's kind of one of those. It, so here's how you know, it trades at 1.16 times the book value. In other words, okay. this is an asset hit. This is a $2 billion business, right? So let's assume among friends that the assets of the business are $1.9-ish billion. Um, it's trading roughly like that. And that gives you the, fir- the first sense. But as I said, it's, one of those, it's like nursing homes, aged care homes, right? Are they healthcare businesses? Well, kind of. They provide that service. Yeah, they're, they're really rich. They're property right. businesses that happen to have All as, the as their in the asset. right, exactly. Yeah. And so that's where you need to be a little bit careful here about how much upside there genuinely is for a business like this. Now that being said, one point one six times book, also still trading by the way on twenty four times earnings. Do, do the maths backwards. How's that work? Right. Well, do the maths. But it tells you they're not earning much on the on, on the assets they're actually under management. And this okay. is this is and you know, they're in a prospective area. Right. Because yeah. the medical side should be really solid. That exactly. shouldn't have been. It's, and so if you're making margin on the medical services, you're doing really well. Yeah. If you're effectively providing the facilities for those yeah. to be done, again, not 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 technically a REIT. Don't, I don't want the hate mail, but the reality is that you need to see them 
in health, healthcare is a tech element. Healthcare is really obvious. Oh, it's all healthcare. Well, no, it's not really. Largely, it's there's REITs and there's other things, service providers. Some are genuine healthcare. Yeah. You have to know specifically what you're getting. Yeah, I, hate, I, I really hate some well. of the sector classifications yeah. that the businesses get. They're just lumped together and they couldn't be more different. And they want them as well. That's the other thing, right? They yeah. want healthcare. So everyone says, oh, healthcare is big. So everyone piles on a helios. Yeah. Yeah. Well, mm. well, you know. No. I, I'm going to have to speed it on. We, we, we've got the last one here. <laughs> and if we can be quite quick on this, gents. Can, uh, yeah. This is the Spider Dow Jones Global Real Estate. Uh, ETF. The code is DJRE. Sam is interested in that. Global real estate, Scott. Now, when I go to Sam's question, I didn't have my glasses on. I looked at the code and said, does that say dire? That'd be appropriate. <laughs> so the, the, the J looked a bit like an eye without my glasses on. I thought that's, that's probably about, I couldn't be sure. Um, I'm not a big fan. Of, look, we talked about contrarian place before. Real estate, global real estate, man. Is there, I mean, is there a worse business to be in with the growth of online, the continued prevalence of COVID? I don't want to be in retail. Now, that being said, what you know, Redemco Westfield was up 40% a day two or three weeks ago because the, the vaccine was announced. So if you're a contrarian, I mean, it's the lowest price it's been in five, maybe 10 years, that share price. So again, if you look at it and say, can it really be this bad? Maybe there's something left in it. Is it one of Ben Graham's you know, final puffs of cigar? But maybe. So maybe you look at that and say it's too cheap to ignore. I wouldn't argue with someone who took that view, not because this is a 25-year compound, just because it seems too cheap relative to where it's been before. We will recover from COVID. The rest of the world is slower, but we'll recover eventually, probably through a vaccine. There might be some value left in this one. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if it's higher in a year or two. But the, the overall trend for this is just horribly ugly. They're bulldozing malls in the US. I don't want to be involved. People aren't working from home more. I just don't want to be in this space. Yeah, and, and, even, and just to add to that is, you know, they, they lost 23% last year yeah. of their capital. That's not good. And it's only a market cap of 298 million. Yeah. Uh, that's peanuts. And this is a global mm. REIT for all over the world. And you looked, I looked at their list of all, all their major investments. They're in Simon Group. They're in, mm. you know, May, it, it's all over the shop. Yeah. And you go, too hard. Sam, uh, Thanks for the question. Sorry, sorry. Uh, there is there sorry. is absolutely no love on this panel. I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it all up here. Let's do a quick review of the last uh, five stocks here. It was I'll do it briefly. It was a cross against everything, with a couple of exceptions. Yeah, a couple of exceptions. Uh, uh, my net phone or MNF Group, as it is now known, yeah. did get one uh, tick from uh, Mark, who, who is his shareholder. For Scott, he, he just he, you know he, he made the comment that it, it hasn't had a good run of late. But Bravura Solutions was two thumbs up, which means it is in the calls portfolio, and that will get added today. Remember, if there's any stocks that you would like us to cover, uh, just send us an email, the call at osbiz.com.au. We've got, we got some really interesting businesses today, so make sure you keep sending them in. If you, if you prefer Twitter, the handle there is at osbiztv. And a reminder, to find all the stocks we have in that portfolio, just head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Uh, and we're on your screens uh, every weekday, 12 to 1 p.m. That is it for us today, gents. Thank you so much for your time. Really good conversation. Stick around for a lot more coming up. We'll be right back in just a short moment. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.